Amen. Thank you so much, choir. Thank you so much for all of you singing so well this morning. Um, admittedly, it's a little difficult for me this morning because I've just had sinuses like massive. I'm, I'm hoping that we'll get some rain this week. Amen. <laughs> so, uh, so we'll be we'll be making that a matter of prayer in the church. But uh, also, I, I forgot to mention this during the announcements, but uh, I received quite a welcome surprise. Uh, this week, it's a little short notice, but uh, Danny Smith, many of you know him from his past tenure at uh, Ruddle Hill Baptist Church. He was the pastor there for a couple of years, and, and he went back out to Wyoming to continue in church planning endeavors, and uh, he called me this week and said, I'm going to be in town uh, next weekend, July 31st, and I would love to stop by Calvary and share what all the Lord is doing if, uh, if you would have me. And I said, uh, absolutely not, no way whatsoever, we'd never think about it. <laughs> no, actually I told him, come on brother, we, uh, we would love to hear what all the Lord is doing out in Wyoming, and so I know it's a little short notice, I usually like to give you guys a couple of weeks ahead of time to, to let you know something like that's happening, but I just didn't feel like this was an opportunity I could pass up. So. Um, so he's going to be here next week, and he's going to be sharing with us uh, what all the Lord is doing in Wyoming, along with uh, whatever the Lord is uh, working in his heart and in, in the time and at this time. So we're certainly excited for that. Let's go to Matthew chapter six this morning. We're going to be looking at the last chat, the last end, the last few passages, verses of the chapter. I'll get it right here in a minute. Matthew chapter six, verses. Uh, 25 through 34, and it is a long reading, so um, I'll invite you just to stay seated and, and uh, to follow along in your copy of the Word of God. If you want to use the uh, Bible that's located in the pew in front of you, you can find this passage on page 965 of the, uh, the Bible that's located in the pew in front of you. So uh, Matthew chapter 6 or page 965 in the, in the pew Bible. And so uh, let me read this together as you follow along. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why, and why are, why are you anxious about clothing? Can, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed, was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day 
is its own trouble. Let's go to the Lord asking for his understanding. Father, once again, we lift our voices to you this morning. We cannot do it enough just to, just to beg you for your wisdom and for your understanding this morning. Lord, I pray that as we attempt to explain these verses and their implications, that you would move me aside and that you would speak to all of our hearts this morning and help us to know how we may live for you and live in a way that is secure and filled with joy. It is in your name we pray, amen. So um, when I was in high school, I was, uh, I was still a fairly new Christian. I was in college, and I had to take a world history class. And, and I, was, I was about a, a year and a half or so into my new faith, and, and I had learned so much. I had such a hunger for the Word of God. I was, I was just eating up everything I could. And so this world history uh, teacher, uh, Coach Bearden was his name, he, uh, coach said, now, who all of you can tell me in here, who is the most influential religious leader who has ever lived? And I shot my hand up just as confidently and just as boastfully and just as ready as I could think. And he, he called on me, he says, yes, Randy, who do you think? And I said, it was Jesus. And his response just as confidently and just as boastfully was, <laughs> wrong answer. <laughs> and I was like, what? And I, I, I did not agree with him. I said, no, I, I think it was. He said, no, the most influential religious leader who ever lived had to have been Abraham because he founded not only one religion, he founded not only two religions, but he founded, he is the father of no less than three world religions in the world. And so... I'm not so sure that I even agree with him to this day, but I do kind of understand the argument and where he was going with that from a purely historical point of view. I, I guess, eh, whatever. I guess they have to say stuff like that in public schools. But I definitely think that Abraham is probably the most influential religious teacher in America today. You say, Abraham, really? Well, not the Abraham you're thinking of and not the Abraham that my world history teacher was thinking of, but there is another Abraham who, not, who lived not even 100 years ago. And I think that if anyone has determined the views and the, even the religious views of our culture today and how we respond, it is probably this Abraham. His name was Abraham Maslow. And in 1954, he wrote a book called, I believe it was Motivation and Personality or something like that, where he put together a pyramid, if you will, of needs. And at the very bottom, you had like five different categories of needs. And at the very bottom, you had needs for life, which was food, shelter, uh, drink. And then you just kind of go up and you kind of go up from there to where at the very end, at the very top, as long as you at every stage of development have had these needs met for you by someone else, then you reach what he called self-actualization, which is the highest order of living that a human can make. 
And I dare say that that is probably one of the most influential views in America today because in order for me to be successful, in order for me to have my quote-unquote self-actualization, then according to our culture, you have to meet my needs. And we see that all over the place. We see that in education. We see that in the criminal justice system. We see that we're seeing that even in the church. But I think Paul would disagree. And I think Jesus would disagree with Maslow. And by the way, even modern psychologists are disagreeing with Maslow. So let me just give you an idea of how Paul disagrees. For example, he says to Timothy, so long as we have food and we have shelter with this, we will be content. He says in Philippians chapter four that I have learned to go without. I have learned to have much. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said, I have learned to be content in whatever I find. In fact, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, very, what's, what I really find interesting about this passage, he says here that um, uh, for Christ's sake, in verse 10, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. You know what's so interesting about that verse is that so many of those things he just said is diametrically opposed to what's on Maslow's chart. And yet Paul says, I'm content with all of those things. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong through Christ. And so I'm content with all of those things. And beloved, my prayer this morning is that we will understand, you know, Maslow has something like 30 plus needs on that chart that in order for you to be self-actualized, other people in your life have to meet all of those needs. What I'm suggesting this morning and my prayer and my hope this morning is that I will encourage you and I will convince you to put your total confidence in Christ alone in fact, I love how Ed Welch puts it. He has a book entitled, When People Are Big and God is Small. And one of the things his main argument is, need people less, love people more. And so this morning, my prayer and my hope is that you will put your total confidence in Christ alone for everything that you need. And so let me give you a little context of what Jesus is saying here in this sermon is that you would almost think that there is a, he's kind of transitioning here, but I hope you can see the connection of what we saw in the verses ahead of time. Where in verses 19 and 20 through 24, we talked about how wherever you place your treasure and whatever you focus your eyes on is ultimately going a question of what master are you going to serve? And no servant, no slave can serve two masters. You will either love one or hate the other. And so as a result, what determines what master you're gonna, you're gonna serve is where you place your treasure and where your eyes are fixed on whatever goals you have. And that is not only gonna determine who you're going to serve, but that is gonna have a profound effect on the quality and the peace of your life. Are you living without peace this morning? Are you living without joy? Are you living without all of those things? Let me ask you a question, where's your treasure? 
What are your eyes focused on? What are you pursuing? What is it you're longing for? My guess is, is that there is something else that is taking Jesus's place in your heart. It may be very subtle, but it's there, just like the end of our scripture reading this morning. Beloved, I adjure you, I, I beg you, I warn you, guard your heart against idols because that will cause chaos in your life. And so Jesus is bringing up this challenging and yet, and yet comforting list of verses here because there is so much here and absolutely comforting to see that the great sovereignty of our God and what we call his providence is working for us in our lives. And because of that this morning, Jesus is gonna tell us that disciples, beloved, we must abstain from excessive worry. We must abstain from worry. And in the kind of world we're living in, this is so important to know. There's, beloved, if you don't have Jesus Christ, then there's a lot of things to worry about. There's a lot of things to worry about in the world right now. But beloved, our, our Lord tells us that we do not have to worry. In fact, he tells us not to worry. Now, let me make a, just before we move on, let me make a, a, a line of demarcation here this morning. We are not talking about proper and godly concern over those we love, okay? We're not talking about that. We're not talking about wise planning. We're not talking about those things. We're not, we're not promoting a carefree life here that avoids all responsibilities. The Bible would refer to that as idleness, and it forbids that. And so we're not talking about idleness, but what we are talking about is an excessive, a, a life-dominating worry that worries about whether or not they, someone else is going to meet our needs. That's what we're asking about. We're a needy people today, aren't we? Boy, everywhere you turn around, everybody's talking about meeting needs and your needs and my needs and, and yada, yada, yada. Beloved, Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Why? He's gonna give us three reasons in our text why we should not, why we need to abstain from that kind of worry. And let me just give them to you real quick. Number one, because worry is going to reveal a lack of perspective it's going to reveal a lack of faithfulness and it's gonna reveal a lack of priorities. That kind of worry is gonna reveal a lack of perspective, it's gonna reveal a lack of faithfulness and it's gonna reveal a lack of priorities. And so let's look at these. Number one, it's gonna reveal that kind of worry. Why must we abstain from worry? Because worry reveals a lack of perspective. Look again in verse 25 and 26. He says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food or clothing? Now, this question can be a little confusing because it almost seems like Jesus is being kind of cavalier about our basic needs, okay? He's not talking about uh, all of the needs on Maslow's chart, some 30 plus different needs. He's talking about food, He's talking about drinks. He's talking about clothing, or, or you could even broaden that out to shelter if you wanted. 
I mean, those are the kinds of things which nobody would argue (coughs) is not a basic need in our lives. I mean, isn't that fair enough? And yet Jesus is saying life is more than these things. Life is more. And you could say, well, he's just taking a cavalier attitude. I don't think he is. Because if you look down in verse 32, he's going to say, your heavenly father knows you need them all. So he's not just dismissing our needs or playing cavalier. He's not saying these things are not important. But what he is saying is that worry has a tendency to take these things and blow them up to where they become the dominating force in our lives. (laughs) To blow them out of proportion in our heads and hold something like, like when you're holding something very small, if you can take something as small as a penny and yet if you hold it up, close enough to your eye, it will literally cover the moon and make the moon invisible to that eye. And that's what worry tends to do. It tends to take something that in the grand scheme of things is relatively small, but blow it up in your perspective to where it covers all of your vision and covers everything that you are thinking of. And so he continues on with a simple object lesson in verse 26. He says, look at the birds. They neither sow, they neither, they, they neither toil, they neither gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father, he feeds them. Are you not much more of value than the birds? Are you not of more value than they? Is he not watching over you as well? The point is, is that our perspective must be transformed and so that the thing that we are concerned about, that quarter in our mind, we must understand that when we hold that quarter up to the actual moon, it doesn't even compare. It's barely even visible. And yet, that is our God compared to the things we often worry about, isn't it? That is how big our God is. Psalm 147, verses seven through nine. He says, sing to the Lord with thanksgiving and make melody to your God, to our God with the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the animals their food and the young ravens that cries. He does this for everything on the earth. And so the Psalm goes on to say in verses 10 through 11, But his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his pleasure in the legs of a man. But Yahweh takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. Beloved, if he he does all of this for all the creatures of the earth, and yet his delight is in you, then how much more will he care for you? And make sure that you have everything you need. Amen? How much more will he do this? If this is the case, then our defining place, our our perspective, our defining place, the, the, the thing that we identify and and interpret the world by should not be that little quarter that we're holding up next to our eye, but should be the greatness of our God who promises to meet everything we need in its right time. You know, I read this week that you can take a dense fog, 100 feet deep, cover seven city blocks, 
And yet, if you were to take that fog and condense it back down into a liquid, you know how much you would get? About eight ounces of water. About eight ounces of water. Imagine what you could do with a couple of gallons. You could, you could literally shut down an entire city the size of Dallas with just a few gallons of water if you wanted to. Isn't, isn't that what worry does in our lives? The substance of what we're worried about is so small. Oh, thank you, guys. The substance of what we're worried about is so small. I was walking over here to kind of draw your attention over here and they just followed me. So, but uh, um, the substance of our worry is often so small and yet we blow it up in our minds to where it literally covers everything and shadows everything. Jesus says that's a lack of perspective. Life is more than your provision and clothing. Life is more than these things. Usually the size of how big this is is not as big as what we make it out to be. And so, beloved, don't worry about these things. Worry reveals a lack of perspective. We've blown it up so, so high and so big in our minds that we've blown it out of proportion. Beloved, your heavenly father is gonna take care of you. Don't look at the quarter, look at the moon. Don't look at what you're seeing right in front of you, but look at the bigness of your God and know that he's gonna take care of you. And so it reveals a lack of perspective. Number two, we must abstain from worry, right? Why? Because worry reveals a lack of faithfulness. Look at verse 27. He goes on, he kind of comes back to this. He says, in which of you, being anxious can add a single hour to the span of life. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. Let's just stop there for a minute. Some of your translations speak of a cubit or uh, adding a uh, to height or statue. And the, and the reason for that is because the word for hour there. Um, it's it's a little hard to translate it. We don't uh, we're we're not sure precisely which one that it's talking about. But whichever one it is, the, the point is the same. That by worrying, you cannot add even an inch to your stature. You cannot add even an hour to your life. The, the, the point is obvious. To answer the question, Jesus turns right back to nature again. And he says, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin nor any of these things. And yet not even Solomon and all of his grandeur and all of his legendary um, wealth was arrayed like these wonderful flowers. And once again, will he not take care of you? In other words, why should we abstain from worry? Because worry does not accomplish anything. It doesn't actually accomplish anything. It, has, it doesn't actually do anything. It doesn't help you at all. In fact, when it gets out of control, it, it might actually hurt you. And so, beloved, Jesus is saying something that's very obvious here, that how many of you, by worrying, can add even one minute to your day, can add even one hour to the span of your, of your life, or if you prefer in your translation, can add even one inch, one cubit to your stature. 
Why should we not worry? Because it's useless. It doesn't solve anything. It doesn't do anything. And then he addresses those who worry as he says, how many of you think you could do this? Will God not take care of you if he does all of these things for nature? Oh, you of little faith. If you think about it, the question that Jesus poses is simple, that if you are crippled by worry, if you are crippled by worry about something, then, you're, then most likely what's happening is, is you're not fulfilling your responsibilities toward it, right? You're not actually working. Take a young man or a young woman in school. There's a major test that's coming that, that is going to determine whether they pass or fail the class, and they spend all week worrying and fretting about it, but what are they not doing? They're not studying and so as a result, Friday comes around and the big test comes and guess what happens? They fail. Why? Because the test was so hard? No, because they didn't study. And so worry so often becomes such a, such a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I remember one time I was in college, uh, I had a friend named Jacob who, uh, he was a psych major and he had this major final coming up in class. And uh, I've told some of you this story before, but uh, he was so concerned about it. And, and so he decided on, uh, on a Wednesday night to pull an all-nighter. And uh, because he was so concerned. And, and so he took, uh, he took a no-dose, uh, a caffeine pill, right? And, uh, and waited for about an hour. He didn't feel anything from that. So he took another one. Waited for about another hour, didn't feel anything. So uh, he had a six pack of Mountain Dew from Walmart and, uh, and he started just downing the Mountain Dews over and over and over again. Well, the Mountain Dew River and the Nodos River converged in his system. And I get a call in my dorm room about three o'clock in the morning. And I answer the phone, I'm, I'm, I'm groggy, I'm asleep. I'm like, hello. He says, hey, Randy, what you doing? I was like, Jacob? He says, yeah, hey, I was up and I was just wanting some company. Hey, you want to go down to the truck stop, get something to eat? I'm kind of hungry. And I'm like, okay. And so, so, so I hung up the phone and I go to the truck stop and guys, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding you. He is literally shaking like this. I'm like, dude, you're going to give yourself a stroke, man. It's like a heart attack or something. But you know what he wasn't doing? He wasn't studying. He accomplished nothing that night by worrying, did he? Guys, listen, worry so often becomes such a self-fulfilling prophecy. It doesn't, it doesn't accomplish anything. And oftentimes, the very thing that you're worried about comes to pass. Why? Because you're not fulfilling your responsibilities toward it. Think about this. Think about someone who is afraid that someone that... If I let myself in, people will reject me. People will dislike me. They will reject me. And think about all the one another commands in scripture, the loving one another, bearing with one another, welcoming one another. And yet someone who's worried about being rejected, they're not gonna be obedient to those commands, are they? No. What are they gonna do? They're gonna sit in a corner. They're gonna be standoffish. And they're gonna ignore everyone. And when someone even comes and tries to 
say something. They're just going to get them away from them as, as quick as possible. And then guess what? The very thing that they were worried about becomes true. It actually happens. People reject them. You see how worry becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Beloved, don't worry about being rejected by people. Obey God. If, if, if that person will welcome one another, bear with one another, uh, bear one another's burdens, follow, there's 30 one another commands. If they're doing that, obeying God instead of being afraid from people, you know, they will find plenty of fellowship in the church. There will be no lack of it. And yet the very thing they're worried about becomes self-fulfilling. Do you see how that works? It's a nasty cycle. It's a nasty, dehumanizing cycle. And beloved, don't fall into that. Don't fall into that. And so <clears throat> that's what I mean when I say worry reveals a lack of faithfulness because so often what's happening there is that the very thing you're worried about, you're avoiding, because of your worry, you're, re you're avoiding your responsibilities toward those things. Are you worried about your kids? Then obey God's commands in parenting. Are you worried about your marriage? Then obey God's commands as a husband or as a wife. Are you worried about this or that? Then find out what the scriptures, how the scriptures tell you to respond and do them. Don't worry about what you're worried about. Instead, concern yourself with how can I glorify God in this situation? That's what we need to be concerned about. And that's where we really come to number three. It reveals a lack of perspective. It reveals a lack of faithfulness. And finally, it reveals a lack of priorities. Jesus says in verse 31, he says, therefore, and he goes back to the commands. He says, he says therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Jesus has made two common sense points about worry, but now he's going to go back and notice all the questions are the same, but this time he's, he's focusing on don't worry by saying these things. Whatever is in your heart, the concern that's in your heart, the, the concerns that are overwhelming your heart, don't let them get to this point to where they are, that they are bubbling out of you. But instead, don't be anxious for these things. Why? Because of two reasons. Number one, verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after all these things. You see, all throughout the sermon, Jesus is using the Gentiles as an example of pagan religions. And what happens is in false religions is that they serve their gods in order to get these things. In order to have their needs met, they serve their gods, they worship their gods to obtain material and physical things for themselves. Philippians 3.19, Paul says this, speaking of those whom the Philippians are to beware. He says, their end is their destruction. And watch this, their God is their belly. Some of your translations may say their God is their appetites. And that's a very good way to understand this. 
Because their God, their worship disorder is what we see here. And they are worshiping their God. They are worshiping their beliefs. They're worshiping all these things in order to obtain the things that are their desires. And so their God, their appetites, there is both an appetite disorder and there is also a worship disorder that is exposed in this verse. Their God is their belly and their glory and the glory and their shame and their mind is set on earthly things. In other words, one of the tenets of false religion, whether it goes by the name of false Christianity or whether it goes by any name of any other religion out there, one of the tenets is that their appetites drive and determine the worship of their gods. Let me ask you a question. Does your appetite And your desires determine how you worship God or whether you do or whether you don't. That's what the Gentiles seek after. But Jesus said, secondly, he says that your heavenly father knows that you need all, he knows what you need. He knows these things. He knows that you need these things in order to survive. This is not the issue. We do not need to worry precisely because our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Next week, when we look at Matthew chapter 7, we're going to see ask and it shall be given, seek and you shall find. And one of the things we talk about prayer is that, is that we just ask. Just ask, ask for anything, no matter how big, no matter how small, just ask and trust your heavenly father, trust his goodness to sort out what is good for you and what is not. But that doesn't stop you from asking. This has no effect on prayer whatsoever, but it does have an effect on what we prioritize in our life. You see, this is the difference between false faith and the faith of the true and living God found in Jesus Christ. You see, all humanity needs the same thing for survival. We need food, clothing, shelter, water. Those are our basic needs. Without those, you die. And that's true for a lost person, saved person, Hindu, you name it. We all need those things. And your father in heaven, he knows you need them. And so the problem is not with asking for them, But beloved, the Gentiles, the pagans, they seek their gods in order to obtain their material needs. You know what the difference is here? Is that the disciple, he trusts God for his provision in order that he may use them to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. That's what he means in verse 33. He says, but instead seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, the provision that we need, God gives us in order that we may be strengthened to follow him. That's the point. Gentiles worship their gods in order to receive the things they want. But the Christian receives everything he gets from God in order for it to help him pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. Everything we have is a gift from God to be used for his glory, to be used for his righteousness, to be used for his kingdom and the expansion of it. And so this is what we are to do. This is what we are to do. When you wake up in the morning, what am I to do? I am to seek 
first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything I have, everything that God has given me, all material possessions that I have are to help me do that. Using the gifts that God's given me, using the education God's given me, using the training that God's given me, using all of those things that I have, everything that I've been given on earth that has been added to me has been done so in order that I may seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So that's what we are to do. And when are we to do it? Verse 34. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When are we to do this? Today. Today. In other words, don't worry about what may or may not happen tomorrow. Beloved, we don't know if we're even gonna be here tomorrow. We don't know that we have no idea what's happening tomorrow. Now again, we're not talking about wise planning here. We're not, we're, not, we're not talking about idleness. But is the worry of tomorrow or what might happen tomorrow dominating your life? Is it crippling you from seeking God's kingdom? Is it crippling you from living in accordance with his righteousness? Beloved, focus today on how we might pursue Christ today. And instead of worrying, how might I use what God's given me today to focus on his kingdom and his righteousness? That's what we mean by priorities. Look at, uh, look at Ephesians chapter five, verses 15 and 16. and believe they're on the board. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best Use of the time, because the days are evil. Don't spend your time fretting over what may or may not be. Focus on how you might do the most of the, for the kingdom of God and pursue his righteousness today. And then tomorrow, wake up and do the same thing. And then the next day, wake up and do the same thing. And every day that God gives you, wake up and do the same thing. Because that's what we have. We're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised next week. We're not promised next year. But the one thing we have is right now. So beloved, what are we doing right now to seek his kingdom and to seek his purpose? You know what happens when you spend all day today worrying about tomorrow? You know what happens? Today's evil becomes tomorrow's evil, which adds on to tomorrow's evil. You know what happens then? Today and tomorrow's evil adds on to the next day's evil, and now you're facing three days worth of issues and responsibilities. You see how today's worry become tomorrow's problems? My beloved, focus on today. One day at a time. Why should we do this? Simply because we've said worry reveals a lack of perspective. It reveals a lack of faithfulness and it reveals a lack of priorities. And I hope you've seen this in this. So the question is, when your mind is completely saturated with anxious and worrisome thoughts, what, what can you do? How can you, how can you immediately respond to those things? And I think David gives us 
I usually go to several verses to end with, but really David in Psalm 37 uh, gives us a great plan to help us out in this. Psalm 37, he says, fret not because of evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. He's, that word fret is talking about that kind of worry that gets you all excited, right? You're, you're excited in, in worry, you know what I'm talking about? And, um, and he says, don't do that. Now, he's talking specifically about evildoers, but we can apply this to anything. And what does he say to do instead? I, I, I encourage you to read this chapter this afternoon. But in verse two, the first thing you need to do is keep things in perspective. Keep things, things in perspective. So they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Whatever it is you're worried about, keep it in perspective. And if you need some help with that, you know, I always talk about using the Philippians 4, 8 questions about uh, helping you study the Bible. Apply those questions to what you're worried about. What is true here? What is noble here? What is, what is worthy of praise here? Keep your mind focused on those things. Answer, force yourself to answer those questions and be truthful about those things. So keep things in perspective. Num, uh, verse three, trust in the Lord. Say, okay, that sounds great. But thankfully, the verse actually defines that. How do we trust in the Lord? He says, and do good and dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. In other words, how do we trust in the Lord? Regardless of your worry, do good. Obey the Lord and live daily. Just a moment at a time if you have to. But just live moment by moment, day by day, in a simple trust in the Lord and become a friend of faithfulness. Verse four, he says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. In other words, pursue the Lord. How do you know you delight in something? You pursue it. How do I know that I like the Southside Donuts? Because I'm willing to drive that far to get them, right? Intent. But, beloved, you pursue what you delight in. Pursue the Lord. Pursue him in his word and be transformed by it. He will give you the desires of your heart. This is not transactional. This is transformative. He transforms you. Commit your way to the Lord in verse five. And he says some things about that. Whatever it is, in other words, whatever it is that you're worried about, commit your ways to the Lord. And Lord, whatever happens, whether this thing I'm worried about happens or whether it doesn't, no matter what happens, I am going to glorify you in that. Whether, I, whether this sickness stays with me or not, whether this job opportunity happens or not, whether this house comes through, house sale comes through or not, regardless of what it is, I am gonna commit my ways to you that regardless of what happens, it doesn't change the fact that I am going to worship and follow and obey God. And please remember that during election year. It does not matter who is president as far as our faith goes. God is our Lord, and he is the one that we follow, and no president is gonna have any effect on that. So don't worry. Don't fret. Don't get so excited about it. And then finally, verse eight, refrain from anger. Look what he says here. 
Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It only tends to evil. You know what's gonna happen when you're fretting and fretting and worrying and worrying and worrying? You know what's gonna tend to happen? You're gonna tend to sin. You're gonna sin. And that's the last thing you need to do when you're worrying. That's the last thing you need to do. Isn't that a much better way to think about worry? Isn't, that, isn't God's way so much better? Doesn't, it, doesn't God have our best in mind? Do you really believe that? Then what are you worried about? Then what are you worried about? What can possibly come against you when your God is for you? What can possibly take you away from his love and his divine care for you? And the real question is, if you don't have that confidence in God this morning, maybe you need to examine your heart and ask, is God truly your father? Is God really your father? Have you really placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation? Have you really made him the Lord? Have you really, have you really obeyed, have you really submitted him, submitted to him as Lord and Savior? I'm not asking whether you've walked an aisle. I'm not asking whether you've prayed a prayer. I'm not asking if you've been baptized or spoken tongues or any one of a thousand things we tend to add to the gospel. I'm asking you as the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior and your Lord. That's what I'm asking. Have you repented of your sins, turned away from them, and submitted to Christ as your Lord and Savior? And are you following him? Because he did all the work for you. He died on the cross so that you can have forgiveness of sins. And three days later, he rose from the grave so that you can have newness of life in him, a life that is, that is lived in the, in the walking in the power of his resurrection. Beloved, if you can rise from the dead, then what in the world are you gonna worry about on this earth? If we're gonna rise with Jesus, the worst they can do is kill us. Bring it on, homie, I'm gonna rise. I'm not worried about that. And if I'm not worried about that, then there's nothing else on this earth I need to be worried about. There's nothing they can do to me. There's nothing that can separate me from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you have that assurance this morning? If not, I would love to talk to you before we leave today. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for our time here. We thank you for these truths that are, that are so based upon so many attributes of your loving care. Lord, the fact that you are sovereign, the fact that you are in charge of everything. <clears throat> and Lord, at the same time, the fact that you are good and the fact that you are loving, the fact that so, so often we think of those attributes as different, but they're the same. They come together. You are strong enough to care for us. You are in charge to care for us and you're good and you're loving and you do care for us. And Lord, if there's one here this morning who does not have that assurance in their lives, maybe it's because they are not a true believer. Maybe it's because they are a believer, but they have allowed so much of this worry to dominate their thoughts that they've lost this assurance. 
Father, whatever the need is this morning, I pray you would tend to the needs of our heart through the truths of this text. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, Lord, I pray today would be the day that they would place their confidence, their hope, all their faith in Christ alone. As we stand and as our musicians begin to play, I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for just a moment and just reflect on what has been said, Lord. Maybe, maybe in your life, your worry is, is revealing a lack of priorities. Maybe it's revealing a lack of faithfulness. And the worries of each day have compounded upon you. Maybe it reveals a lack of perspective. That you're just not keeping your eyes focused on Christ. But that little quarter, you're holding it next to your eye and it's covering everything else. Would you let the quarter go? Throw it on the ground and see how small it is in comparison to your God who loves you and has promised to care for all your needs in his timing. Are you content with that?